Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Live Dharma Sunday for September 2nd, 2018. Koyo Kobose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, you know, at the end of August and beginning of September of every year, it starts a new term for our lay study program. And, uh, <clears throat> Last year was, uh, we had two groups for the first time, you know, uh, since it's a small group discussion, you can't have more than, well, maybe eight is the maximum you might have in one group. Otherwise, it's, uh, you know, the ses- uh, a session lasts too long with uh, so many participants taking their turn and discussing um, the written reports that are posted online, uh, commenting on the written, on the reading uh, assignment. And before, if we got a couple of people, you know, might say, well, we had to close the admission process because uh, I was getting too many people. But if you get even more people, you could you could form two groups so that these other people won't have to wait until the, a whole year before starting. And uh, usually this wasn't the case because, you know, we would get maybe eight. If we started with eight, maybe a couple of them dropped for personal reasons after the term started, and, and we end up with six, you know. Uh, so, four to six people is about ideal in terms of the discussion, uh, weekly calls. But this uh, this year, many people, uh, I guess, word of mouth heard about the program and. We got close to 20 people, and again, we this is 
Well, we could limit it to only two groups, uh, but or we could do three. Okay. And since we have uh, the past uh, lay ministers, uh, we have, well, maybe 40-something now after 10 years of the program. And uh, many of them are, you know, can teach the classes now. And so we started this procedure, and uh, this is LM12 that starts this year, the 12th, <laughs> 12th group. And there's three groups. Now, so LM12, A, B, and C. Okay. And each of them has about six, seven members in each group. Um, but my, what I wanted to mention today is that um, as I looked on the Ning site, we use a Ning site uh, where they post uh, their written reports. Okay. And within a group, of course, they all did the same reading. And uh, you can go on to uh, write down sangha.ning.com and see how the students are dealing with a particular reading. And when you do that, it's just amazing the diversity of views even though they read the same reading assignment, you know, well, they're different people. So they bring, we told them that this, this is not uh, like an ordinary book report. Um, you know, what the article was about and just, you know, uh, it's not like that, or like a book review type thing, but how you can personalize what stood out for you, for you. Okay and talk about, you know, that, okay? What was the, several, mentioned several things that, you know, stood out for you. Uh, even when it's the same thing that stood out for several people, the, the way they process it, the way it relates to their own background, their own interpretation, and so forth, is different. Um, And it's very educational for a reader such as myself to read all these different views. And I said, oh, yeah, gee, you could look at it that way or mm, so-and-so. They found this of interest. Uh, it really, um, well, that pluralism or diversity, whatever you want to call it, sort of reminded me then of, United States of America, um, where immigrants from different countries, you know, came here, and they all have different backgrounds uh, from different countries. A lot of countries are um, pretty, uh, what, what's the word, um, homogeneous, or, you know, they're much older, and they they uh, acquired a certain 
well, if you call it uh, culture, society, you know, like Japan or uh, Britain, France, okay, or Germany, or or uh, from Brazil, or huh? you know, well, when it comes to America, it's a great experiment. You get many times people came here for religious uh, freedom. You know, back in the day, a couple hundred years ago, or whatever, and and uh, it's like a United Nations, <laughs> you know. Okay. It's uh, now some small towns maybe uh, there's some homogeneity. Okay, these families have lived there a long time, and um, but when you get uh, well, even Southeast Asians. Japanese, Chinese, they might be in their fourth or fifth generation, you know, with a generation being uh, 25 years, okay, as a, a minority group. Okay, When we say minority, we mean um, uh, <clears throat> face. You could tell that somebody is not, wow, from the Mayflower, okay, uh, people of color or people uh, with different, uh, just by looking at them, okay, they're they're not wasps, okay, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, okay. Maybe some of them, uh, English is not their first language, perhaps, okay, and they bring all kinds of different uh, values and cult, different you know life philosophies. Okay, from the so-called mother country, and here they are. A lot of Southeast Asians came in the 1970s, the boat people, and because of the global uh, situation, okay, or maybe there was trouble in Bosnia or so forth, and uh, so oh, so and so went. Okay, we have some family there, and so you have chain migration, so-called. Um, and in certain cities, you might say, oh, this is a Greek town. This is, <laughs> you know, so-and-so. Because uh, in other ones, uh, well, how fast does the, does the assimilation process take? But even when it does, there's just so much diversity. Huh? And because uh, America is still a pretty young country, relatively speaking. And uh, I don't want to get into political aspects of, you know, immigration issue okay, or white nationalism and so forth like that. Okay? Um, but we might think about diversity. You certainly see a lot of diversity in nature, uh, evolution and different species. How many different kinds of wasps are there <laughs> you know or birds or lizards or you know uh, insects wow uh, uh, nature has a lot of diversity in there uh, I don't know what kind of discussion topic would result when you're talking about 
these kind of things. Okay? But my point would be when you appreciate the diversity, I think that's a healthy thing instead of, or like the Dalai Lama said, what would it be like if when you went out to eat, there's only one kind of restaurant, (laughs) you know, Chinese food, French food, or all kind of restaurants. Doesn't mean we have to say which one's, you know, better in terms of uh, number one cuisine. Or there's that saying, Variety is the spice of life. And and uh, if you travel, they say travel, traveling abroad broadens a person. And that is so true. Okay? If you never travel abroad, you don't realize uh, how restricted your view was world view. Okay. But when you go live, say, in another country, uh, you become a little bit, I don't want, want to say a different kind of person, but when you actually experience different lifestyles, different cultures, it really broadens you. And I think that's a tremendous thing because the the world is so small now. You know, in terms of communication, travel, you can imagine in uh, uh, back in the day, okay, whenever that is, but uh, for various practical reasons, people uh, spent their whole life in, well, so-called with their own kind, okay, didn't see that diversity, okay. But even though it's present in nature itself, like I mentioned, okay, that uh, uh, is very, well, um, makes you more open, makes you more tolerant, makes you, okay, instead of very narrow views, no open minds. Uh, and I think Americans... Uh, they call it so-called ugly Americans. You know, they don't realize how other people from other countries view American culture or so forth. Okay? American doesn't mean wasp. You know? uh, when you think about nationality, you know what nation are you a citizen of? Everybody that lives in the con- in this country. It's an American citizen. Okay. Efforts to talk about, wow, you're not really American. If there was a conflict between your mother country and America, you'd be you'd be for, you know, so and so. They don't realize that they're. If you talk to people, you say, oh, did you, where did your grandparents, where did they come from? Oh, they came from Sweden or. Okay, someplace. And they don't realize that visible minorities, I guess that's the word I was looking for, visible minorities. Okay. And um, the physical, by looking at physical characteristics, okay, all kinds of stereotypes and everything occur. 
Man, that's a, you know, when you talk about democracy or for the people, by the people, of the people, um, and then the Constitution and what the founders, what they envisioned, they experienced so much, uh, you know, attempted domination by mother country. Okay. Here we're talking, of course, about Britain and the king. Oh, well, we got to tax these colonists. And and what happened? Uh, Well, (laughs) I didn't mean to go off on all the political aspect, but just in terms of our program, uh, it's just so broadening to read the different written reports. Well, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Dave Joyo. He lives in Wisconsin, and he was part of the RLM4 group. So let's hear from uh, David Joyo. Good morning. This is Dave Joyo Merrick here, and this is my Dharma glimpse on the 2nd of September, 2018. The title of my Dharma glimpse is Piano Lessons and the Garage Sale, or Lessons from the Piano. Let me start by quoting from Reverend Kabosi's book, Everyday Suchness, and his Mrs. Anonachatchment. Non-attachment is one of very important teachings in Buddhism. In fact, the life of enlightenment is the way of non-attachment. Now about those piano lessons. We signed up for the annual neighborhood garage sale, and while preparing for the sale, we were struggling with what to do with a beautiful, expensive, and very heavy old piano that was once my wife's grandmother's. Nowadays, you're hard-pressed to be able to even sell a piano, let alone give one away, so we were feeling very attached to what would become of it. We reached out to the school where our two girls attend, and sure enough, the music department needed another piano. (laughs) What a great feeling that this piano will be used, probably much more often than we did. The grad sale also gave me constant reminders of attachment or more accurately, to detach. With each sale, a memory of that item and how our family used it appeared. And the lessons from the piano was present in the happiness that the item would be put to good use again. I will end by quoting the last paragraph of Reverend Kabosi's missive. When the sun shines, enjoy it. When it rains... Enjoy it. All things in life, let them come and let them go. This is a secret of life that keeps one from getting upset or being neurotic. The Buddha says that all things in life and in the world are in constant change. So do not become attached to them. Thank you for listening. Yeah, that teaching is... When you get on that topic of non-attachment, 
which really comes with a lot of, well, it's a loaded term. And it's probably maybe one of the hardest ones, I think, for, uh, you know, uh, new Buddhist to relate to. Because, for one thing, uh, as um, my father, Reverend Gilme Kubose, says, uh, non-attachment is not detachment. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't care about things. Uh, uh, now, non-attachment... When you're when you're attached to material objects, that's when it really people that are well Buddhists and they're trying to live this important teaching. This is gets thrown in their it gets so apparent to them gets thrown in their face. Gee, yeah, I'm, I want to cleaning spring cleaning or whatever, and say, oh, that, I remember this. Oh, you never you you never you know use it or you don't think about it. Maybe only. If, once in a, so many years, but oh, I I I don't want to throw this away. That I this has a lot of memories for me. So common. Then huh? they say, "Gee, I'm supposed to be non-attached. I should be able to let that go." Well, because if you're, well, if you are uh, attached to something, then you have certain expectations. You could, if you talk about it in a negative way, you might say, "Well, you're you're sort of a slave to that attachment." Okay, uh, and the way I worked it out for myself that helped me with this teaching is what you have to see. You know, it's if you're attached to something, where is it? Gee, I, I'm I really. Well, I remember there was a student disciple of my father's, and uh, he lost his wife in a car accident, he, and he was severely injured. They were, uh, you know, relatively newlyweds, okay, maybe in their first or second year of their marriage, and a drunk driver caused an accident that killed his wife, and he was seriously injured, and in the hospital, uh, you know, I think his brother called my father and said, well, you know, so-and-so, he's, uh, uh, says that he loves his wife so much. Oh, but I'm a Buddhist. I should be able to let that go and make adjustments and whatnot. Hmm? Am I a bad Buddhist? Uh, as my father said, uh, he, in fact, I think he, he went there. He flew to Tennessee, okay, maybe it was Georgia somewhere, to visit him in the hospital. Uh, he, he was seriously injured, so he, he couldn't even go to his wife's funeral, okay, because he was in the hospital. But he said, you know, well, I had to straighten him out about the teaching of non-attachment, okay. And that's when my father really learned that uh, a common thing is that, oh, does that mean you should be detached? Okay. He didn't realize that you could become attached to the teaching of non-attachment. And we can, we could, uh, when somebody loves somebody so much or relate, it, 
it ceases to be a dualistic subject-object type of, so, oh, you know, they're part of, they're part of you. Plus, what the way I mentioned to myself, how I, what helped me was, uh, if you're one, oh, I love dancing, or oh, I love, you know, a person or something. Uh, that's the way it is. So much, you, you're not victimized by the attachment. That's so. I used to say. I still say, I said, well, when it comes to non-attachment teaching, it's a, well, if you're attached, and when you victimize yourself by that attachment, then you have to take a look at it. Um, But it does not mean detachment. Um, And when you think about ideas or, or, or teachings or about one's own life, uh, you know. Some people are so attached to a particular teaching or idea or something, and, uh, well, that's, if you're living like that, then that's, that's you know, that's the way it is, okay? Uh, but when it's based upon us, you know, Subject object kind of dualism where all oh, I okay. Then you if you use the words well am I self victimizing myself? And then it's not right understanding huh? and so forth. So I think it behooves us if we have to spend a lot of time on teaching of non attachment in order to work out all these well, I don't know if you want to call them you know, glitches or misunderstandings or, you know, how it's how it applies to oneself in various situations and so forth. Um, Non-attachment. Or to one's own self-image yourself, the way you define yourself. Are you, are we attached to being American? <laughs> or are you attached to being a citizen? Huh? I know some people would say something like, I'm a citizen of the world. You know, they had given some thought then about nationalism. Huh? And the damage it could do not only to oneself when it's when you're attached to this in terms of how you see yourself, how you see others. You really victimize yourself and you don't even realize it okay? until you see some diversity. You say, oh, oh mm. okay. If it's an idea, I say, oh, yeah, I would never do that, those guys or something. Well, what if? I say, well, wait a minute. What if your sister joined that cult group? You're going to hate all those cult cult members and what that movement if it's your own sister in there somebody say no no she would never do that no no that's not the point suppose it was you might be more understanding there was some reason some kind of something happened that you know causes and conditions for how she got into that situation maybe it's better if she got out but you would be much more understanding and not quite so 
superficially stereotype uh, labeling and, uh, you know, because you don't have the direct experience with others. Maybe some people that don't like certain races, they never got to know them. They were never their neighbors. And, well, like I said, traveling abroad, you know, broadens oneself. Uh, America's a great experiment uh, of this diversity. And it behooves us to see how that relates to life teachings. Well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, hey, keep going. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you.